Welcome to this week's Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Kate Bailey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle, and Rachel Winter, Senior Investment Manager at Killican Company. Yesterday, the Bank of England raised interest rates for the first time in 10 years. Although this was only an increase of 0.25%, taking UK interest rates to a still relatively low 0.5%, this has implications for savers and investors. Rachel, thinking about the effect this rate rise will have on investors, what is the likely effect on equity markets, in particular UK ones? Well, usually if interest rates rise, you would expect the stock market to come down because it becomes more expensive for companies to borrow money. But yesterday we saw the stock market rise after the rate rise was announced. So that was quite unexpected. OK, now turn to bonds. What's the likely effect here? Normally you'd see a little bit of a fall in bond prices because when interest rates go up, cash becomes relatively more attractive than bonds. So you get some people selling out of bonds and moving back into cash. Obviously, we need to see how things pan out. The situation's obviously not good for bonds in this general situation, so should investors be avoiding bonds? I don't think so, no. I think the rise we'd ha- we had yesterday was incredibly small. It's just gone from 0.25% back up to 0.5%. So really, it's just a reversal of the emergency rate cut we had after the referendum last year. Um, I think really the the way that bonds trade is to look at the future expectations of interest rates. And in Mark Carney's comments yesterday, he was very clear that there will perhaps be only two more rate rises between now and 2019. So that's a very small number of rate rises. And therefore, I think that will be quite supportive to bond prices over the next couple of years. Okay. Now, bearing that in mind and turning to cash, um, will cash be a more attractive asset into which to put your wealth? I'd say less unattractive rather than more attractive. <laughs> so it really depends if banks pass on this rate rise to their customers. A lot of them have come out over the last day and said they will. So people holding money in cash can expect to have a slightly better rate, but you know, 0.25% up to 0.5%. I don't think it's going to make a huge amount of difference. Okay. Now, um, bearing in mind um, what we've just been saying about equities, bonds and cash, um, are any types of investors likely to benefit from the interest rate rise? Well, first of all, cash investors, as we've said, they might benefit a tiny bit. I think investors in particular sectors of the market could have been, um, well, could have seen a reaction in different ways. So house building stocks, those historically do react negatively when interest rates go up because it means that mortgages will become more expensive. So as expected yesterday, we did see some weakness in the house building sector. You would expect an interest rate rise to be good for banks and financials. So yesterday we did see a bit of strength in stocks such as Lloyds Bank because that will start to make more money on the mortgages and loans that it is dealing with. Okay, now who isn't going to benefit from the interest rate rise? Well, as I said, that the house building sector, normally you'd expect people invested in the UK to not benefit because you would expect to see a, a rise in sterling, making it more expensive to invest overseas and to import goods. But yesterday the pound actually did fall, so that was quite unexpected. Yeah. Um, Now, bearing that in mind, um, should investors reallocate their portfolios because of the rate rise, either to avoid certain areas or take advantage of assets which might benefit? Or, like you said, because things have been doing what they shouldn't have been doing, should you perhaps not 
react to something like this? I don't think any sudden reaction is needed. I think a rate rise, it's the first rate rise, rate rise we've had in 10 years, and it is quite a momentous occasion. And I think investors do need to bear in mind that we are now on the path of upward interest rates, um, even though it's going to be very gradual. So I think investors do need to think what types of stocks will do well from slightly higher interest rates, and they should try and perhaps hold a few more of those stocks. But I don't think a drastic reallocation is needed. Okay, thank you, Rachel. Some really helpful points. No one has a crystal ball, so inevitably investors will have different views to each other on which assets could do well. But it is generally agreed that certain areas are probably better for certain types of investment, for example, income or high growth. Kate, you've been speaking to a manager who aims for high growth and has a firm opinion on what he thinks is best. Who is this and which is the high growth area he likes? So this is Douglas Brody, who manages Edinburgh Worldwide Investment Trust and Bailey Gifford Global Discovery Fund. And he is very bullish about biotech, um, which he thinks is an area which will really be kind of transformative um, in the coming years. Why does he think biotech is going to do well? Well, there's a variety of reasons. He thinks it's, it's a sector where it will really give these kind of asymmetric returns that Bailey Gifford investors look for. And that means that you'll get some stocks, some companies which really do unbelievably well, give you exponentially fantastic returns, and then some that, that are kind of failures that don't work out at all. But he's saying that we're just at this point of kind of scientific advance where we have this better understanding of disease and ways to kind of target new drugs and clinical trials, uh, which are giving drug companies better chances of success and also reducing that time frame a little bit um, between kind of early stage clinical trials and really making a success um, of drugs. Okay, so how much does he have invested in this area and and which companies does he hold? So he has 30% invested in healthcare in total and that does include uh, some kind of bigger pharma as well as the kind of very high risk um, binary outcome early stage drug companies. Uh, And he invests in stocks like Alnylam, for example, and that's a stock which works on coming up with uh, with treatments for genetic diseases by targeting uh, the specific genes. Okay. Now, you said he's got big and small companies. So what stage does he actually like to invest in biotech companies? Well, he likes to invest in quite early stage biotech. And that means, you know, investing sometimes in these companies before they're even turning a profit or maybe before they've got a drug on the market. So, uh, you know, from the look of things, quite high risk. And in fact, more than a third of his portfolio in total doesn't generate a profit at all. Um, But, you know, that means that you do get these fantastic kind of winners uh, in the portfolio if they do well. Okay. So other than biotech, what other types of companies does Mr. Brody like to invest in? Really, he likes um, to invest in this kind of very disruptive, uh, often tech-driven companies. So the kind of entrepreneurial company that will be changing the face of an industry is very in keeping with Bailey Gifford's kind of whole mindset, which is looking for the businesses and the industries which will be totally shaken up in the future. And that's why you get these kind of exciting things like driverless cars or green energy um, and the big kind of internet businesses too. Uh, So things like Amazon. He very much buys into that as well but he's trying to buy those businesses like Tesla for example when they're much smaller so getting right at the early stage. Okay now you mentioned Amazon and Tesla and what would be um, perhaps less well-known examples of uh, holdings in this area? 
Uh, so he invests in um, Market Access Holdings. It's one of his kind of favourites. And that is a bond trading platform. And he thinks that that is one of these businesses that will really be able to scale up from being kind of an exciting, disruptive idea to taking a massive market share. And that's just due to the fact, in his eyes, that trading kind of exchanges are natural monopolies. You know, everyone wants to meet in one venue. And in fact, this is a good area for, for market access to really build up market share. Okay. Now, these, all three, the ones you mentioned, they're actually US listed. Um, is Mr. Brody Keane in the US? Yeah, he is. Um, more than 50% of the trust's portfolio is invested there. And I think it's not really a case of um, liking the US for the sake of it. It's just a function of the fact that in the US you do see this very, um, or this kind of ecosystem that's really geared towards early stage investing. They've got this big base of venture capital funds and angel investors. Um, and it's a kind of, it's a place that people will go to, to list these kind of high risk, but also potentially very high reward early stage tech driven companies. Okay. Uh, Rachel, what do you think of biotech shares? Is Are they really the most exciting opportunity in the world, to quote Douglas Brody? <laughs> <laughs> I think they are very exciting. I think biotech is very high risk, very high, te- high return. So if you are a growth investor, I think it is quite a good sector to be involved with. I do still think it is incredibly risky. So these companies are ploughing money into trying to discover new drugs. So if they get it right and if they discover a new blockbuster drug, the profits could be absolutely astronomical. But if they get it wrong, they could be ploughing billions into a drug that doesn't work. And I I think it still takes... I think the average cost of discovering a new drug is about $12 billion. And that encompasses the costs of all the drugs they try and produce that don't quite make it through clinical trials. So there still is quite a high failure rate, even though research processes are improving. So I still think it is very, very risky indeed. Okay, so with that in mind, what kind of investors are biotech shares suitable for and how much exposure should they have to them? I think investors who are happy to take a lot of risk. I'd say also investors who don't want a dividend or who don't want any income. So biotech companies, because they're spending so much on research and often they aren't making a profit, they haven't got any spare cash available to pay out as a dividend. I would normally approach biotech through a fund. I think investing in one individual biotech company is quite risky. I'd rather have exposure to a few different ones. Um, And I'd be happy to have a reasonable exposure and um, perhaps between five and ten percent of a growth portfolio. Okay now have any funds you particularly like? I think the obvious one is probably the International Biotechnology Trust. So that's one that has done quite well, and that's exposed to purely biotech. Um, But there are a number of more general healthcare trusts or funds that do have some exposure to biotech as well. So I'd probably opt for one of those. Um, There are two that we like. One is the Polar Capital Healthcare Opportunities, fantastic track records, and I think about 20% of that is allocated to biotech. And we also like one called Syncona. Um, it used to be called Bassett or Bucket, B-A-C-I-T. Um, it used to be a, a fund of funds with quite a general approach. Last year, they bought um, a company called Syncona and they changed the name of the overall fund to Syncona. And now they are transitioning towards being a life sciences and biotech business. So we're quite excited about that. And that's one that we would recommend for growth investors. OK, thank you, Rachel. Some really interesting suggestions. And you can read Kate's full interview with Douglas Brody in this week's Investors Chronicle and the website. Now, a less racy option in the investment world, but a fund which many investors include in their portfolios as a core holding is Witten Investment Trust. 
Vist Trust has recently made some changes to its asset allocation because its in-house investment team have strong conviction in a particular area. Kate, what area is Witten's investment team keen on? Um, so they're keen on European equities, which they think have recovered a lot throughout 2017 and are now looking um, both politically and economically like pretty good places uh, to invest. What have they done in view of a bullish view on European equities? Um, so what they've done is increase their active exposure to Europe by appointing these two new managers. Uh, so they've appointed Crux Asset Management and SW Mitchell Capital. And they've allotted them the funds um, that Marathon Asset Management used to run. They've terminated that contract. Um, and they've also given them another $24 million from cash resources to work with. Okay, so can you tell us a bit about Crux and SW Mitchell? Yeah, so they both uh, very much bottom-up um, approaches to investing and quite value-focused, so often quite contrarian um, in the things that they're looking for. Okay, and, and uh, am I right in thinking Crux's investment team includes Richard Pease? It does. Highly regarded European manager? Yeah, he runs Crux European Special Situations, which is a very strong performing fund. Okay, so some specialists there. Um, now, how do these differ to the manager that's been dropped? Well, Marathon used to run a more diversified portfolio, and um, and what Witten's looking for now is is more concentrated exposure, and also exposure to continental Europe rather than Europe, including the UK, which which Marathon used to run. Okay, um, how had Marathon been performing? I mean, was its performance anything to do with the fact that Witten? dropped it from its roster of managers. So Witten says that performance is unconnected this, to this decision, but it is true that in 2016, Marathon had been underperforming the index, the FTSE All World Developed Europe. Um, so Marathon returning 13.7 against an index return of 19.7. Um, but since they were taken on in July 2010 to September, they have outperformed. So over the long term, you know, they've done well. Okay. Now, Rachel, um, what do you think about European equities? Are they a good place to allocate to at the moment? I think they are, yes. I think Europe looks very attractive at the moment. So we're seeing good earnings growth coming out of European companies. Um, confidence and purchasing manager indices are looking very high, particularly for Germany. The euro is going up, which means that capital is flowing into Europe. So overall, I think it does look attractive. I wouldn't say that European shares look cheap, but they do look more attractively valued than shares in other areas such as the US. So I too am increasing my exposure to European shares at the moment. Okay. I mean, that all sounds good, but nothing's 100%. So what don't you like about European equities? Well, I've mentioned the euro rising. So that does demonstrate that people are confident about Europe. But if it gets too high, that will be a negative for the big exporters within Europe. So that is something to keep an eye on. And also the political situation. We've got the situation with Spain and Catalonia. That's a little bit of a concern, kind of bubbling away in the background. And also over the past year, we have seen a rise in popularity for more Eurosceptic um, government parties. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Okay, so bearing all that in mind, is it better to have general exposure to get everything or to have a more concentrated portfolio um, like the two managers that have recently been appointed to uh, Witten's roster of managers? I think it's obviously better to focus on the areas of Europe that you think are going to be doing the best. And um, So as I said, we are a little bit concerned that the strength in the euro might harm the exporters. So I personally would prefer to focus on more domestic European companies. So I prefer to have a, a portfolio that concentrates on those. Okay, and um, 
could you suggest any examples of any funds you particularly like for youth of exposure? Um, at the moment, we like the BlackRock European Dynamic Fund. That focuses largely on small and medium-sized companies, so those are more likely to be the domestically focused ones. OK, thank you, Rachel. Another interesting suggestion. That's all we have time for today, but see this week's issue of Investors Chronicle and the website for more on why Douglas Brody thinks biotech is the most exciting opportunity in the world, or at least the investment world, and the changes Witten Investment Trust has made to its underlying managers. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,